Welcome back, everyone, to the Crash the Pond podcast. It is a Monday, November 29th edition of the show. Jake, it's it's post-Thanksgiving. Post How are you feeling? Have you recovered? Are you still in a food coma? I mean, that's that's okay, how, too. How dare you, sir? How dare you? What? <laughs> what? Have I already... It's Hanukkah. It's Hanukkah. Okay. Okay. I mean, hey, you don't know that I wasn't going to bring that up. But I will wish you a well, happy you know, X there we go. ninth there we go. night of Hanukkah. Second? Second. Third? Second. 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 Okay. There we go. Second night of Hanukkah. We'll be lighting the menorah after this. Sorry, I was getting a quick tweet out saying we're live. Um, but no, Thanksgiving was good. Kind of busy all over the place. Ate a lot of food. Somehow crashed one of my friends Thanksgiving and ate Thanksgiving with uh, high school friends family. So that was a good time. So, uh, you, go. you know, it was good, good all over the place. Uh Played some golf on the weekend and, you know, uh, had a Hanukkah party and had some latkes yesterday. So, overall, wow. busy weekend, fun weekend. And yeah. watch the Ducks uh, watch the Ducks games on, on Friday and a little bit of yesterday. Caught it on recording yesterday. So, yeah, you, how about you? you? You've, how, been, you've been busy. I, I like I it. have been. I have been. Well, you know, it is what it is. I got to say, Jake, it was – I had a great weekend as well, notably because of the, the news that came out on sunday oh that's right i how did how do you just want to lead with this is is this what we're leading with is this the decision you've made sunday was a very good sports day for me mark bergevin out as the habs gm not only that though trevor timmons out as agm was their their head scout was the director of their scouting department so just seeing the heads roll in montreal really was a great day i mean my warriors are 18 and 2 they're they're thriving again I'm finally going to get a you, win in fantasy football. Like my sports life is is really taking off. I'm I'm happy. You know, this. I I'm actually going to win for, in both of my leagues for the first time. I think all yeah. season. Um, USC hired Lincoln Riley. Yeah, things are gonna are looking up for that. Look spent a lot spent a lot of money and paid for multiple houses for him to get him to come. But you know, it's going to make I, the program exciting again. I just I saw that and I I almost fell out of my chair like just the ungodly amounts of money that are being paid to college football coaches. Um, I'll just say pay the players and and move on and just move on. Um, there you go. I, I do want to give a fight on. I do want to give a big shout out though to Jake because I just received this in the mail today. I hope everybody can oh, see sweet. this on the screen. If you can't see it, in and out gift card. Appreciate that. Doesn't actually say the amount on the card, but I know what it is because there was a receipt in the in the first class mail. By the way, this is this is how you know Jake is really balling out because I got a first class package from the U.S. Postal Service. So really happy about that. Uh-huh. Thank you, Jake. I, it was. It this was. Is a, this is a very. <laughs> wow. I have I have proof right here showing you on the screen. You just put your address on. <laughs> Oops. Everybody ignore that. <laughs> Not my actual address, so there you go. Um, there, you, there you go. Point is, though, thank you. Very thoughtful. Um, bit of a layup I, gift. Here, I, I wish it was twenty nine. I wish I could have done twenty nine dollars. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to. Oh, there you go. I took. Yeah, me you're twenty nine years old. Yes. So thank you, and also a big thank you to everybody who followed through after we after we recorded last week and wished me a happy birthday on Twitter and on different. Uh, channels really appreciate that it really means a lot so with all of that said with all those good vibes should we get into oh the, the last week of the ducks i should say this is the last that uh people will see me with a mustache so enjoy it while dang. you can on this episode dang this this has been a journey this has been it's a coming ride. off tomorrow it's coming off 
you know, I I don't think I'm I'm gonna miss it. I I think uh, you know it was a good ride. You handled it well for yourself, but it's time to move Thank on. Thank you. Time to it move is. on. To it is. Green, you know, to November's going to end tomorrow. November's going to end tomorrow. November will be over and it will be gone. Yeah. So, with <laughs> with this kind of crazy off-topic intro now out of the way, hopefully, hoping it's out of the way. Do I mean, you the topic to- of the show for people watching this the the feed on Twitch or watching on YouTube says we will figure it out. So there you go. Well, we've got some things to talk about. I mean, we do. After last week's pod, and really the last couple weeks where it felt like there was an overflow of news with GM resignations and, you know, injuries, things like that, it's really slowed down. And it kind of, it's funny because it it not only has it slowed down, but it's also slowed down on the ice. The Ducks, their winning, their long winning streak got snapped. They've hit a, I don't want to call it a a skid, you know, like they've picked up a win in between some losses against Ottawa, but I guess just your, your overall impressions. Cause to me, you know, in this last week where they played um, Colorado and Toronto, should we be looking at those games as measuring stick games? Cause in a way, even in, in the best case scenario for the ducks this season, those are not teams that they're really measuring themselves against. If that makes sense. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's a measuring stick game to get an idea of where this team sits because at the end of the day, you and I, I mean, we've said this so many times on the show, but I think you and I are both in the same boat of here or boat for the ducks this year. The the results actually don't matter. Sure. It's fun. It's fun to watch the team win. It's entertainment. It's more entertaining to see the the team win, but in terms of evaluating this team long-term, their long-term process, it's way more important to see how they play, what the process is for the team, not the actual end goal and results, because at the end of the day, the process matters more for things moving forward. And if they can establish a good process now, that's going to lead to proper results as guys age age up into their prime and they're able to kind of uh, bring in support around them and add guys on uh, around the, the new core. And so when we're looking at teams like the Maple Leafs, the Maple Leafs are at 55% expected goals for percentage. The Avalanche are at 53%, uh, 53.8. And honestly, they probably would be higher if they didn't have the injuries that they were dealing with this year because I think they were like 15th at one point. So um, they've basically uh, been able to jump up into the uh, uh, top 10 based upon their play of late. So these are in some ways measuring stick games to see how the Ducks fare against these higher-end teams. And that was something we talked about going into, what was it, a couple weeks ago when they were going to be playing the Capitals and they were going to be playing the Hurricanes. And I think the same thing goes for for this uh, little stretch here against um against the Maple Leafs and against the Avalanche because we want to see if those positive results that we were starting to see from this team were sustainable long term and if this play wasn't ne- was necessarily being driven by in some ways playing weaker opponents or if this is just who this team is and so I think it's really important to get that type of information and gather that type of information and I think what we were able to find out is that while yes there are a lot of improvements for this Ducks team they aren't necessarily at the level of a top team in the league, which is completely fine. Um, because, for instance, uh, based upon Evolving Hockey's model, they sat at 42.5% against the uh, expected goals four percentage against the Avalanche, 42.25% against the Maple Leafs. Neither of those great totals, both of them well below 50%. And, I mean, that's kind of where they were against the, the Capitals also, 41.5% expected goals four percentage. So we're starting to see a bit of a trend that these higher-end teams in terms of teams that can generate chances, generate play, control play, the Ducks do struggle against them. And that's okay. If the Ducks are able to push their way where they're competitive and on the better side of things for the middle 
middle pack of the team, the teams from about, I don't know, 12 to 18, if they're right in that range, that's a massive improvement for this team. And so once you're able to establish that, and I think we have a good idea of that might be where the Ducks sit now is in that 15-ish range, um, we can start to then you can start understanding little things in the fringes that you can make adjustments to, to be able to push the team further forward and make more adjustments and make changes. And I mean, for instance, Max Jones comes back. If you have Max Jones on the line as compared to Sam Steele, I think that's an improvement. I think you and I both would agree on that. Um, And so I think that he would help drive play a little bit more than a Sam Steele does. There's these minor tweaks that you can start making that really help out the team and help fine tune things uh, moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, it's tricky because what does measuring stick even mean, right? We knew that the Ducks were not anywhere close to Colorado and Toronto going into these games. But I think your point is a good one, though, that this is about process over results. And the fact of the matter is that, look, for me, I'm not going to say that, like, it's hard to not make these big conclusions when you're watching these games, right? Because the Ducks... Had they had the eight-game winning streak, we, there's been all this buzz, this energy around the team. And I think even if you're this objective observer, like we claim to be, I think we are pretty objective, um, as we, we, try. As we, stri- we try as we best. strive to be. Um, it's hard not to get caught go. up. It's hard not to get caught up in that just a little bit. And I think for these games, like you have to really dial in your expectations of, look, this is a team that's been playing well but they are playing these juggernaut, the juggernauts of the league right now. And maybe for me, there was a slight part of me that thought, Hey, like they are on the upswing. Maybe they're going to be more competitive in these games. And I think to a degree they were to another degree, they definitely weren't. And balancing those things was the hardest part of watching those games. And I think overall the takeaway for fans, I, I think you should be careful not to just, go straight into the, oh, look how much better they did. Look how good they, they looked in pockets. But you also shouldn't be down on the fact that they lost these games and that they had those bad stretches. I think the truth well, is somewhere somewhere in between that there's yeah, definite and, improvements that you can hang your hat on. Yep, and I, and I think that's the key thing. I think looking at the Toronto game, for instance, I think the first period, maybe the period and a half of that game, they played fantastic. And yeah, that's, then that's they started one of taking... Best, that's one of the best periods of hockey in a while. Like that first yeah, year against Toronto. And, and it was against a fantastic team in Toronto. Like I said, fifth in the league and expected goals four percentage. The issue there was that they weren't able to sustain that pace throughout the rest of the game. And that's going to happen against some elite teams. You're going to have some stretches where you allow them to, to get their chances and they may score. The key aspect is being able to then be pushed back. And this is where it's the ebb and flow of a game and being able to get back on your horse and get back in the game and get back to dominating play. You're going to have stretches there. You see it in playoff games all the time within periods of of momentum kind of going both ways. And you want to be able to dominate play more and get more chances at the end of the day. And so that's kind of the next step for this team is being able to take those positive steps they took and apply them and, and keep them going moving forward as compared to, not saying they whittled under the pressure because I don't think that's a good way to put it, but they they yeah. kind of they had some bad stretches there where they gave up some good looks against, yeah. and they weren't necessarily able to counter with their own looks going the other way consistently enough once they gave up those chances. Yeah, no, definitely. Like there are some self inflicted wounds in that Toronto game for sure. In against Colorado, I mean, seven minor penalties. Yeah, is not going to help your cause, but at the same time good teams put you in, in tough spots. Like like you're going to be compromised and how you respond to that, the better teams don't crack quite as much. 
and the teams that are more in the middle, they're going to struggle with that. And I think for the Ducks, what you saw is that when they play teams like Colorado or Toronto, who are so good at what, you know, the, the term you hear getting off the wall, where they're so good at getting into the middle of the ice, putting pressure on you, getting those cross seam passes. Like that's a big challenge for any team. And especially for the Ducks in that second period, you saw any time that they would turn it over, the play would just come right back their way. And they really struggled defending that. The funny thing though, is that yeah. you saw, you saw certain players on the Ducks thrive in those environments. Like, Oh yeah. Zegers line do well. And you saw others not quite as much. And I think that part of that is stylistic. Yeah. And I think that for sure. I mean, Zegers last night, just for those that, that kind of are, are looking for some of the numbers, the Raquel Zegers Milano line last night, all were in the 80th, uh, 80% range in terms of expected goals for percentage. Like that was absolutely Trevor Zegers, Ricardo Kell and Sonny Milano being like, this is a huge stage. We're going to put on a show. And they they allowed point point two five expected goals against. We're in the one point two range of expected goals for, and we're on the ice for no goals for and one goal against. So that's just sometimes how it goes. And but the process was really good for that line. And even though they ended up the results didn't match up with that, that's what you want to see from that line. I mean, here's a question for you. Oh, going on a complete tangent. Uh oh. Zegers for Cal Milano. Uh huh. Is that the Ducks' best line now? I think right Since, now with Ricard Raquel with Ricard Raquel now being back. Yeah, it's 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 their most dynamic offensive line. I mm-hmm. I, I think we may, might need a little bit of a bigger sample for their two-way game, but if they could put up a stat line like that against Toronto, which is so good and and that the fact that they kept the quality and quantity against low, that tells me that they have the potential to be the best line just hand over fist, don't even have to think about it. Um Offensively, though, I don't think it's much of a debate that they are the best line right now. You saw the Getzlaff Terry Henrique line really struggle against Toronto. And part of me thinks my theory on this, because you would think, okay, they've put up great numbers this season. They're going to do fine against Toronto, even though Toronto's great. That line to me is a lot more reliant on getting in on the forecheck, you know, creating mm-hmm. turnovers, cycling the puck. And with Toronto, because they're so good at getting the puck back, getting it up ice they're so good at controlling the game when you're a line that depends on that i think it's harder to pull that off now of course it's just one game so you don't want to make these sweeping conclusions about you know how how that line plays but i think that it is harder for a line like them to get themselves going whereas the zegris line because they're coming in with control and they're they're not quite as dump and chase heavy because they can quick strike off of turnovers Uh uh-huh they're a little more matchup proof. And I think you saw that against Toronto. Maybe it's just the way Toronto plays. It's just, it's just easier for a line like them. But that tells mm-hmm. me though, moving forward, maybe they're actually the best line and we're going to start seeing that more and more. Yeah. And, and I think what we saw in both of the, the games against the higher end teams with the, uh, with the avalanche and the Maple Leafs is the ducks really need, I mean, the penalty kill for as much as people want to say it was so good. Um, I think this game kind of these games kind of show that you can't continue to take penalties, and eventually, I mean, right now the Ducks, uh, the Ducks sit just so everyone knows they're tenth uh, worst in the league in terms of allowing expected goals against per sixty on the penalty kill. Mm-hmm. Um, or sorry, that's five on five. Give me one sec to get the penalty kill. Um, apologies for that information well, being while, wrong. While, uh, you, while you looked it up, I'll just say that the Ducks have been very disciplined so far this season. Like they're second in penalties, minor penalties yes. taken per sixty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there we go. 7.71 expected goals against per 60. That's good for 11th worst in the league. 
So they are on the bottom end of it, even yeah. though they're allowing they're they're doing a decent job of not allowing goals against at the rate that they're expected to. Eventually, you're probably going to see that spike up as a result, especially if you allow this many penalties. So yeah. even though the penalty kill from a pure goals perspective has been bad, it's probably going to end up uh, ha- allowing more goals uh, in the upcoming stretch, especially if they continue to take penalties at the rate that they had over these last couple games. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess just for you overall, like the last week, how much of, has it really changed anything for you, just perception-wise of this team? Um, Because I will say it I, has I a maybe, little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, I, I think the only thing that, I mean, they did, and I mean, we probably should mention this uh, on a much more positive note, they dominated Ottawa uh, yeah. in all, in, they, at 5-on-5. They, five they, five, they destroyed five, Ottawa, yeah. <laughs> 57.69 expected goals, 4 percentage. Um, I mean, Here's the thing. We talked about it from the perspective of Colorado and Toronto being measuring stick games. In that same kind of perspective with Ottawa, that is a measuring stick in some ways the other way of you should be dominating that type of team. And so you can't pick the teams that you're playing. Um, So from that perspective, the Ducks should be dominating an Ottawa team that is uh, not exactly that great right now. And uh, let's just see in all situations, I'm curious kind of or at five on five where they sit in terms of expected goals for percentage, I believe they're kind of lower down in the league. Yeah, they're 29th in the league. So <laughs> it's a very good sign that the Ducks dominated that team. And so I think that if we're going to kind of be a bit critical of the losses to to Toronto and Colorado, I think it's it's a good thing to commend the way they played against a lowly Senators team and were able to dominate play and put that game away, to be honest. And so yeah, I, um, totally agree. I, I yeah. think that that's important. And, yeah, and so I mm-hmm. go ahead. No, I was just going to say in in the Ottawa game, maybe my favorite maybe my favorite goal of the season just from like an execution perspective with Zegers to Terry on the power play, the zone entry and then the the long pass to Terry who then just yeah. walks in and scores. Very nice display. And then Milano later in the game with that just beautiful knockdown of the puck, almost like mm-hmm. bouncing it like a basketball with a stick. Yeah. And then getting it to Zegers for the tic-tac-toe to Raquel. So Again, that line that you that you mentioned with Zegers, Raquel, Milano, they they have been picking it up, and I, it just doesn't feel like a fluke yeah. at all. Well, and the thing that was so fascinating about kind of both of those plays, to be honest, it, I mean, kind of different type of plays, very different situations. But on the first play with Trevor Zegers, the, the zone entry, you see how he's able to draw f- yeah. all four penalty killers to him. Like all four Ottawa penalty killers come to him, and the thing where maybe if you want to be critical of anything with Trevor Zegers this season is when he tries to take on three guys by himself. I think that he's been he's done that from time to time, and it typically will lead to a turnover. And sometimes it's a little bit better to look for the pass and try to make the seam pass instead of taking them on two-on-one, three-on-one. And there he was able – and especially when you have the deception to draw those guys in, if you're able to get a two-on-one against you, someone's open. Mm-hmm. And he saw he drew, drew in all four guys, and what do you do? He dished it to, uh, to Troy Terry, who comes in with speed and ends up scoring off of it. So absolutely amazing uh, amazing uh, play by him there. And then on that play by uh, by Milano, just the, the ability first off from Sonny Milano to be able to knock that puck down out of the air – um and be able to move it to to Zegris was great and then Zegris just very quickly being able to identify Raquel and basically he more or less shoots the puck off of Raquel's stick just fires it so yeah. hard at front yeah where it's just Raquel <laughs> needs to have power like essentially put enough force down on a stick that it's not going to move his stick and deflects in 
And it's just a wonderful play, really well uh, developed by those guys and really quick one-touch passing from all three of them. Or I guess Milano and, and Zegers for the passing and then Raquel being able to score. And so that's the type of chemistry that you want to see building there. And I mean, from the perspective of if you want to look at it from the, the trade perspective with Raquel, it's great because he's able to to be with those two guys and find some chemistry. And maybe it's a bummer that he probably won't be here long term, but it's going to be good uh, for the Ducks long term if he's able to really build up some trade value with this. Yeah, I it is kind of a bummer, right, that Ricard Raquel has kind of been in a tough spot the last couple of years. Just either he's been saddled with linemates where it hasn't worked or he's been saddled with, like, declining or guys that are going through tough seasons like like Getzlaff has been at times. And now that he's finally on this amazing line, this is probably the season where he gets dealt. So let I mean, me ask you this. It's just a tough pill to swallow. Just as as we're speaking this out loud and not saying this is the way that they should go because you and I both agree that they should move him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. But let's just say the trade value isn't there. Let's say the best they get is a third round pick. You and I both For agree. St- yeah. Okay. But not saying that that's this is okay. Not no, I'm, I'm, like I'm following. I'm following. Uh, yeah. Not saying that they should do that. Or I think you and I both might agree. Take the pick. Screw it. He's not gonna. You're not making the playoffs this year. Get him. Like get whatever you can for him. Yeah. But if his value is at that point. And let's just say he's willing to take, I don't know, a four-year deal. He's currently 28, going to be 29 in May. Would you sign Ricard Raquel if he's building chemistry to a three- to four-year deal? I think you have to consider it. Like, you have to think about it. Because Mm -hmm. the thing is, Zegers is going to keep getting better. And so Mm -hmm. as Raquel declines a little bit, that if they're playing together and they're still Mm -hmm. having chemistry, that offsets a little bit, the decline. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I mean, there is something to be said for having an optimal line mate with your, you know, your presumably best player in Trevor Zegers long term. Yeah. Ken Pafu's asking, what would the AAV be? Honestly, the AAV to me doesn't matter as much as the term. Well, the term is the, the term for, uh, for the, for Raquel would be way more important than the AAV. Yeah. I mean, if you, if it like, if you can get him on a three to four year deal, even if it's like six mil. Like I still think that that's easily manageable for the but Ducks here's to, the thing, to handle. Though, for for Raquel to accept that, it's got to be worth it's got to be worth it for him. Which means the AV will yeah. have to be. Well, and, and I think and I think that's the thing. At the end of all this, kind of running through this conversation, it kind of leads me to the the conclusion that I've been at for a long time is that I think you still Ricard have Raquel. To yeah, Ricard Raquel. Yeah, you still have to trade him. Ricard Raquel is going to get like. We're we're having to like put together this hypothetical situation for him to take a three to four year deal, and it's like that's not going to happen. He's going to get five or six years on the open market. He has to do that for his family. So, um, yeah, and I mean, Talton Keys brings up a good point. I don't disagree, but it seems like Zegers is good enough to create chemistry with nearly any top six winger. I think that's a very good point. Well, yeah, and and that's that's the I I totally agree with that, and I think that that is the the drawback of that argument I was just making is that sure, yeah. Even if they're great together, the idea of Zegris is that you can, you know, you're you're not depending on one guy to be the right fit. You can kind of move guys in and out. Um, and even then, like even if it was true that that Raquel was his best line mate, the opportunity cost of that contract would still be too high. Yeah, but it's not. And so I mean, my it's whole not as crazy of a thought as it used to be. I guess no. And my whole point in kind of bringing this up is, I think it you and I try to do this from time to time is bring up the opposite point of view. Try to maybe almost make that argument in some ways, almost to see if we can 
find a way where it would make sense, right? Stress test our beliefs. <laughs> yeah, and I think at the end of the day, even running through that scenario, it doesn't really make that much sense to either of us. Well, clearly you're having to, like, you're you're having to to really stretch things out and try to thread that needle just to make it work. And I think that that's kind of a bad mm-hmm. sign if it's requiring that sure, much work definitely. for it for it to be defensible. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I I don't know, but but I mean, it, it, you can ask the same question for all these guys right now, or at least people will ask that question, right? Is Manson a guy that you can bring back now? Is Lindholm, right? Lindholm's developing mm-hmm. all this chemistry with Jamie Drysdale. They literally live together now. Um, I still think that for everything that you just said regarding term, regarding the long-term flexibility, it just makes the most sense to make the trades. Agree or disagree? Yeah. I agree. Ken Pafu saying, "Good thing Bonnie's not here right now in our chat, or else she'd be coming for us." <laughs> yeah, this would this would not be going over well. And again, it, it's a full recognition. Sorry, Bonnie. That, it's a full recognition though that these guys have made this conversation at least worth having, right? Like Ricard Raquel's been playing yeah. very well when he's been in the lineup. Lindholm has been doing very well on a pairing with the 19 year old, and Josh Manson quietly. It's funny, Josh Manson eye test putrid at times. I mean, against Toronto. Some of the worst turnovers you'll see in his own zone. But the numbers look fine. Like, he's been, you know, Fowler is definitely the one pulling the weight on that pairing. Like, he is the one driving, Yeah, I would say, most of the success. But but Manson's held his own. And I think that is a credit to him that he's been able to to kind of bring it together and, and not look like a tire fire, uh, you know, when you're looking at the numbers. So that is... yeah. And, and so um, all this to say that if people are upset that we're hearing about trading these guys when things are going well, again, there is a bigger picture here, and it's not to take mean, anything away from what they're doing. I'd say this about that, and I've said this for years. You and I don't look at players in the way of, this guy's playing poorly, he needs to be traded. Right. Because that conversation doesn't ever end up working, if that makes sense. You can't trade something you don't want for something you want. Mm-hmm. And so in order to be able to get back a return that helps you in the future, you have to be moving something you like. And so in order for us to be okay with moving someone, that means that honestly, they're a good player because that's someone that it, in there's just extenuating circumstances with the salary cap, with aging, with roster construction, with cup contention and uh, yeah. contending windows. And all that to say, all that kind of comes back to is that, um, these guys are good players and they're valued around the league. And that value can get you back something that will help you more in the future than they can, especially if they end up leaving in the summer. And so I think that's kind of at the end of the day where this comes down to. And honestly, I've said this for a while now. Um, The fact that I think that they should get traded is actually a big benefit to them because it allows them, especially to go to a big market and put on a showcase in the summer. This allows these guys to get paid for years that will set up their families for life. And yeah. so overall, like it, for Lind, if Lindholm, let's just say the Ducks are a fringe team, fringe playoff team at best. Let's say he gets moved to, I don't know, no way this would happen with, with salary cap, things like that. But let's just say he got traded to the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. <laughs> okay. What does that do for his stock if he is one of the big drivers of the Tampa Bay Lightning success in the playoffs? It increases it exponentially. Yeah. Yep, and it's better for him as a player. So if you're a fan of that player, it's not a bad thing that they're traded and they can then help their life, their family out for life, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel so, like we've had we've had to make this point too many times now, but it is worth repeating because 
it gets harder. Well, to we've play. had we've had to make the point because we've had to make the point because the Ducks refuse to do it, and so we have to defend ourselves so well, much yeah. with the Ducks not ever doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think now it is. I think it it is worth mentioning again because things are going well, and so people are probably mm-hmm. asking, "Well, what the hell? Why would you trade these guys when mm-hmm. games are being won and things aren't just completely awful?" But that is the reality. Yeah. And so real quick, I want to go back to, to kind of your question that started all this conversation about how do I feel about the, about the Ducks now uh-huh. after this past week? And so I think kind of taking Uh-oh. it all in the Are you about to drop whole, a hammer? I, what hammer? I don't know. I feel like you're, you're going to burst uh, someone's bubble here. Oh, maybe. <laughs> I think that what this week showed me is that this Ducks team is good enough to beat the teams they should but at the end of the day, if they were to make the playoffs, they would most likely get matched up in the first round against an Avalanche-type team. Um, and they don't necessarily have the firepower to compete with those teams yet. And it would probably be a quick exit. That's kind of what my conclusion is now after this week. And so, sure, hockey can happen. Who knows? But I think that if the Ducks made it, it would obvious. And granted, this is something that we could have easily said earlier on in the year, but as the results start coming or the process looks better and better and better, you kind of wonder, well, what if they do make it? What if they are able to continue this strong play and keep going? Who knows what happens and not saying I ended up ever thinking that this team is a cup team right now. Cause they're not, they're not built that way. That's not what they're built for. They are still a rebuilding team, but you start to kind of wonder in your head, what happens if they do make it? And I think what this week in some ways was, was a reality check to those thoughts. Yeah. And I think that that's important. Yeah. No. And I, I think that that is overarchingly the correct takeaway is that, yeah, the winning streak is, was great. And I think it was a good indicator. It was of, fun of how, of how things have progressed. And like, there's probably a few more of those winning streaks, maybe not to that extent in their future this season. Like they're going to encounter a stretch of games against like Pacific division teams or whatever, where they're just going to pile up the points and they're going to look great doing it. But it is a good reminder when you play the Colorado's and Toronto's of the world that you're just not there yet. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is exactly where this team is at. I think how it's playing, how things are like, if you're a fan of this team and you're looking at things, not just from a night to night perspective, but you're looking at things from a longer term perspective. How, how can this team get back into contention this the way that things are playing out right now is almost exactly what you would want. Like they are showing yeah. signs of progress. Things are getting better, but at the same time, it's not enough to where the front office does something risky or they jump the gun, right? It, the, the, the plan is going to be stuck to, I think to a T in terms of the rebuild. And that's what you want. If you're a ducks fan right now. Yep. And so with that being said, are anything else you want to say on that? No, no, I'm all good. All right, so it's time for a word from our sponsor. Ho, 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 gentlemen. The holidays came early here at Manscaped, the leading men's hygiene brand. Manscaped just launched new products, including their all-new ultra-premium body wash and a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. It's time to give yourself or someone who needs it the beautiful or the gift of beautiful skin, hair, and balls this holiday season. Uh, go to manscaped.com and use code CTP for 20% off plus free shipping. So Felix, jingle balls to the walls. Listen up. 
Untrimmed pubes are a thing of the past, and it's possible you have Santa's beard in your pants. It's time to leave your significant other some cookies and milk at the bottom of your chimney. I'm talking about the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the signature Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer has proprietary advanced skin-safe technology to reduce cuts on your nuts. Felix, why don't you talk to us about the Performance Package 4.0 and specifically the Lawnmower 4.0? Yeah, I mean, the key here for everybody involved is that it is waterproof. And so... When you are in the shower, you can get your business done. You can tend to your crop and not have to worry about, you know, bringing out the vacuum cleaner afterwards in your bathroom or however you go about it. Whatever your system is, everyone's got one. You know what I'm talking about. Um, The fact that it's waterproof, that when I've used it, at least it's not chafing. I don't get all irritated afterwards. Um, And look, there is that LED light so you can be as precise as can be, you can also turn off the light. If you're like Jake and you feel like you don't need it or you want to save on battery power, it's got you covered. I am a big fan of it. It tends to all of my grooming needs. Yeah, and within the Performance Package 4.0 is also the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver and Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant, Moisturizer, and Toner. It's time to keep your North Pole feeling and smelling fresh. And the Hygiene Bundle also comes with a pair of their anti-chafing, anti-chafing boxers. And Manscaped is going beyond the groin with their new ultra premium body wash. It's infused with aloe vera and sea salt to keep your skin feeling clean, nice, and moisturized. They also just launched their two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, which has key ingredients with benefits that includes hydrating, nourishing, condition, uh, conditioning the scalp, plus strengthening your hair at the same time. So tis the season, Felix. Tis the season. To load up on Manscaped products. So get yourself, your dad, your brother, and friends the best gift of all. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code CTP at manscaped.com. Every guy out there needs to add Manscaped to their wish list this season. So you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code CTP, like Crash the Pond, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code CTP. Clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. There you go. Okay. Moving on, back half of the show here. We're, we're, we're getting into the, the, the real action. Now that we've talked about the last week of the Ducks play, do you want to talk a little bit about some rumors flying around the Let's league? hit it. Let's people, hit it. Let's hit it fast. People love rumors. People love rumors. Rumors even are... If, even, even if they're not like about significant players, people just love them. Yeah, you know? I know, I know, you, I know you love yourself a good, a good rumor. Um, oh, I, I, I absolutely love... Like, trade deadline's one of my favorite times yeah. of the year. <laughs> It definitely is. Okay, let's start with. Hmm, do we want to start with a trade rumor or a GM rumor? I'm letting you ride, uh, drive the ship, and I'll just follow along. I'm, I'm just in the Duffy boat behind being pulled. <laughs> okay. Um, I like the Duffy boat. Uh, I, I like that. That's a good little note, L- little sprinkle there. Let's go with Jake DeBrusque. Trade rumors. Let's just give the people what they want immediately. Um, Jake DeBrusque has asked for a trade from Boston. And he's a guy who it feels like his name has been in these rumors for a while now. Apparently, this has been brewing for a while. He's one of those, again, one of those names from Boston where you always hear about them, right? Boston gets on all the national broadcasts. Um, I guess from from your perspective, Jake, he's an RFA this summer. Right now, his cap it is at 3.675. He is a left winger, which means, I mean, the Ducks have a bunch of those already. His qualifying offer is going to be pretty high. 
He's going to turn 25 this season. What's your what's your gut reaction? Is this a guy that the Ducks should be targeting? Uh, so really quick, I'm looking up his, what his qualifying offer would need to be. So his qualifying offer, I believe, would have to be 4.4 mil. I think that's where it would be. Um, no, that doesn't make sense. I don't know what cap friendly is doing here. I, I think it would have to be 4.8 or five or something in that range. I'll, I'll need to double check it once we're done talking. Um, but, uh, or once I'm done talking right here, but in terms of what do I think about Jake DeBrus? I think he's a guy that is, um, 24 years old. I, he's a guy that, so he, he is, he is he's okay offensively and defense. Sorry. Maybe I misspoke. He, he, he is 25. 20, he already turned 25 this year. So he turned 25 and got it. Got it. My bad. Yeah. 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 Sorry about that. Um, uh, no, he's a guy that specifically, like, if you look at uh, Jay Fresh's player cards, for instance, 68th percentile in even strength offense, and this is over a three-year sample, 47th percentile in even strength defense, with the even strength offense kind of trending around the 75th percentile going into the season. The one thing that's really fallen off for him is his finishing, and that kind of has been shown in his scoring over the last couple seasons, with his scoring kind of falling off a cliff. And so it really feels like this is a, a situation where, as the for the Ducks, they could potentially buy low on him. And I think that that's the most intriguing part here is while he's not necessarily in the age range, he's a little bit older than the age range I would like. I'd prefer someone kind of 23 years old. I think if you could buy low on a Jake DeBrus, I mean, he has six points in 17 games this season, 14 points in 41 games last season after being at 35 points in 65 games, 42 points in 68 games, 22-year-old. Um, shot 5% last season, shooting 8% this year, shot 11% in prior years. So um, more likely than not, the six points in 17 games is not necessarily uh, a sustainable um, scoring pace. He's definitely uh, should be scoring more. And so it really just feels like a situation where the Ducks could be buying low on a guy. And I think that if you're the Ducks, that's a way that you can really um, – you can really take advantage of maybe a little bit of a market uh, uh, inefficiency right there is taking advantage of that. And this is a, I mean, this will be big if, if the ducks are able to somehow pull this type of move off and get a Jake to brusque. I mean, the question is what do you give up for him at the end of the day? But that would give you an idea of kind of what Jeff Solomon is valuing and maybe looking for these guys. I mean, this is how you're able to find these kind of unknown gems or, or guys that uh, maybe at the end of the day, people will say a change of scenery helped them. When in reality, yeah. it's just like Troy Terry. It, the The underlying pr- process was fine. The results just weren't there. And yeah. so I, I think that that's more so why I find Jake DeBrus such an interesting player is, I mean, to be completely honest, I haven't watched Jake DeBrus play that much. But mm-hmm. looking at kind of these underlying numbers and this underlying process here, the process isn't bad. And it's more so just the results aren't there. So this is a guy that you could definitely see uh, buying low on and him blossoming. Um, as he yeah. starts to enter his scoring prime. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important not to oversell the player too much because, like, there are definitely, I guess, pockmarks on his, his resume. Like, he's not great defensively, and his defensive game has been just getting worse and worse, it seems, year over year. Also, this season at least, and it's a small sample, so don't want to read into too much, but all of his individual shot rates are down. Um, I do agree, though, with the notion that a lot of what seems to be driving the fact that he's available is just like his bad shooting luck. And it's not, it's not purely that of course, but that is like, if he wasn't shooting the way he has been, if he wasn't getting just blanked the way he's been, you would imagine that we wouldn't be having this conversation. And I think for the ducks, depending on what the price is, 
it's it's a worthy buy low. Like he is a little bit on the older side of what you'd want in this rebuild. But if you can get, like let's say you get a Jake DeBrusque and he gets some of that scoring touch back, and on top of that maybe finds his game a little bit better at five on five, then there you go. There's a guy who could potentially play next to a Trevor Zegers. But I would not be super excited about building this whole contract or not contract this whole deal around him this whole transaction for a trade it would have to be something where you're just taking a flyer on him like you don't want to be sending stuff back unless it's just guys that you've already decided are not in your future plans but i don't know what do you make of that how how far would you go to bring him into the fold i mean i it the the hard thing is i don't really have a good read necessarily on what he like uh, what, what what boston's asking price is yeah, I, I think that's really the question here. So as it turns out, uh, of eight, 120%, his, so yeah, it will be 4.4 is the the QO to sign yeah, him next which is summer. Not, which is not and nothing for like what it, he is. It's not nothing, especially for a guy that, I mean, let's just say this. I think when he is at his best, he's what, a 40, 50-point guy? Sure, yeah. I, I, I think if you're trying to just put a number on it, I think maybe in that range. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Um, I think if I were to, to say what I would give up, I mean, I think if you could maybe sell them on a retained salary, Adam Henrique. Yeah. Cause, cause then I think the, that w- a deal like that just, it, it, it kind of moves the ball downfield more for, for like your big, your big picture plans. If you're the ducks. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that that type of deal doesn't necessarily that, that deal makes sense for Boston in some ways also. Cause Adam Henrique's still a good player for, for as much as people, um, want to talk about his game declining while we've talked about it in the contract not being great. He's still a good player. And I think that if they're able to retain salary to in some ways match kind of where DeBrusque's contract may end up, then I think it could be a deal worth, worth uh, investigating. Maybe you make it a uh, retained salary, Adam Henrique, and maybe you do Sam Steele also something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's where this deal ends up, but I wouldn't necessarily be looking to give up a premium asset to get Jake DeBrus. And I think that yeah. when his name was brought up last year, I think the, the key thing was his name was brought up in the Ricard Raquel trade rumor yeah, and, and that it could be Raquel for DeBrusque. And I think that that would be an awful trade. Yeah. Um, I still think that would be an awful trade. And so I'm very interested in getting Jake DeBrus, but it would have to be for the right return. And I think it would need to be in some way center around an, an Adam Henrique, maybe a Jacob Silverberg. So something in that range where a more veteran presence that maybe helps Boston in a way that uh, Jake DeBrus doesn't right now as Boston's looking to win a cup with their current core. But I mean, this is just us speculating and me just throwing names out. This doesn't necessarily have any information behind it. And there could be people that listen to this from Boston and say, you're crazy. He has more value than that. And maybe that's true. Well, here's the thing. I'm surprised you actually didn't bring up Hampus Lindholm just because that's a name you've mentioned on this show. Because Hampus Lindholm for Jake DeBrusque makes no sense. Well, no, but I'm saying like in a deal that would involve Jake DeBrusque, not as a one for one. No, Uh, because that that's well, that's the problem, right? Yeah, I just don't see him adding really any value to what I would want for the return for, for Hampus Lindholm to be, if that makes sense. Well, and, and that's the problem is that when you start going down this road of, okay, what would make sense or, or what kind of deals could you concoct for Jake DeBrusque? You just start asking yourself, wait a second, we're talking about Jake DeBrusque here, like mm-hmm. fine player, maybe a little undervalued right now, but like, this is not a guy that you want to move heaven and earth for. Like the whole point of going after him right now is because there seems like he's at an all time low in terms of value and if you look mm-hmm. at the, at the stats for him, 
maybe that value should still be higher. And that's where you can kind of steal him away, basically. You don't want to start moving yep. around all your best chips just to, just to get Jake DeBrusque. And, I mean, sure, yeah. if, you can, if you can move out Adam Henrique, there is a value to that as well because you're improving your long-term cap picture. But, yeah, I, that's why for me, like, my initial thought that, that I mentioned is, is I still believe, stand by that is that, you know, give up a pick maybe a guy that you can just kind of like do the change of scenery guy in return for Boston, but not something that's going to be super comprehensive. Yeah. I mean, Christian Jay says, I mean, if, if Delorier still has high trade value, who knows, but he's like, I think stealing Delorier might be able to get him with Delorier having stupid high trade value for what he is. I mean, I don't know about, I mean, Delorier makes some sense in Boston with the, but, because but of the th- that's Bruins, just not what but, they need, though. Like that is just like fundamentally yeah, not Adam, what they need. Adam Henrique on retain Adam Henrique on retained salary makes a lot of sense for them. Like I understand that you know DeBrusque wants out and that it's not working there, but if you're Boston, like are you really making your team better by moving on from him and getting two guys in steel and Delorier who might not even play every night for you? It just I saw this one floating around on Twitter and I immediately was like, okay, well, if I'm Boston, why would I do that? How does that really help me? Like yeah. Sam, St- Sam Steele like, is the, is the opposite change of scenery guy for that from DeBrusque where DeBrusque, you can say, okay, change of scenery in quotation marks. Sure. But this is just a guy going through a bit of a scoring drought and that should course correct with Sam Steele. He just is what he is, which is like a fringe third liner to fourth liner. Like that's not going to, it's not all of a sudden going to flip around in Boston. Maybe if he plays with better teammates, yeah. but like th- it's just not that. It, it, th- those are not the two same player profiles between Steele and DeBrusque. Yeah, and I think that if you want to look at the the Boston lineup right now, I mean, the here's, I mean, their top six I think is kind of set with Marshan, Bergeron, Pasternak, Hall, Coyle, Craig Smith, and then their third line though is Nick Foligno, Trent Fred- Frederick, Carson Kuhlman. I mean, Adam Henrique as that third line center would make a lot of sense for them. Sure, or put him on the wing, like whatever. Just get him in the mix. Or yeah, play him instead of Craig Smith on the wing. Who knows? Yeah, like like he he makes them better. He addresses something yeah. that that they need to be better in. I mean, Jake DeBrusque isn't Jake DeBrusque is not playing for them right now. Exactly, but I just think okay, you flip a guy who's not playing for you, and you bring in a steal. Like where does Steele and Deloria fit into that lineup right now? Like do do they make them better? I mean, we've seen guys from Anaheim go to Boston, aka Chris yeah. Wagner. And sure, they look good in Boston, but they're still they're still in this like they're still fourth liners at the end of the day. Um, yeah. So anyway, this is just my big rant against. Yes, DeBrusque is intriguing, but maybe not worth all this. Kind of he's hype. he's only he's only intriguing because it appears as if the trade value for him is low. Yeah, like would you give up a third round pick for him? Uh, probably. Yeah, but even that that reaction tells me everything I need to know. If that's not an automatic. I like, might give up a second, maybe, maybe. Really, I wouldn't. No maybe way. second, like, probably not. Like, like this is this guy's at rock bottom trade value. Um, he's not even playing True. for them right now. Good Why point. would I give up a, a premium draft asset? There's just no way. It's a good point. It's a good point. Is that me point. overvaluing second rounders? Maybe a little bit, but see, that's know. where I'm going with it. Is you think about the probability of a second rounder making the NHL well, versus it's Jake not more... appears to be an NHLer. It's, I guess, it's not. But it's the age of it all. Sure, but it's it's more so about the fact that the opportunity cost, where you could have used that second round pick in a different deal to get something better than True. Jake DeBrus. That's more so where I'm Fair. coming out of from. Fair point. Fair point. Okay, I think we've said enough on Jake DeBrus. Unless, of course, yeah. you have more to say. <laughs> nope, I'm good. Okay, other rumor, 
other fun rumor. So with the Canadians firing Mark Bergevin, love being able to say that now. Love that that's a thing. Um, there, of course, have been rumors about who will be the next GM of the Habs. They have taken on this different uh, front office structure with Jeff Gordon being the EVP of hockey operations, and he will seems like he will be the one calling the shots. He will be the senior executive for all intents and purposes. And of course, because it's Montreal, you need a French-speaking GM, the front-facing guy. And because Martin Madden speaks French and is French-Canadian and is based out of Quebec right now, which is kind of like, I guess this isn't really common knowledge for a lot of people. Um, but yes, he is he is French-Canadian and he does live over there right now. His name has come up in the GM uh, rumors for the Canadians. So I guess from your perspective, Jake, let's say that Martin Madden were to take on this job. Let's say that he does interview with the Habs and ends up becoming their GM. How big of a blow would that be to the Ducks? It's a question. I, I mean, it's one where it's, it's hard to necessarily know, right? I mean, we can if have it's an a, idea. If it's that... a blow at all. I, I think that it is a blow because you look at the way the team has drafted, and they've drafted well. Like, I mm-hmm. think, no doubt. I think they've you can say they've drafted well. Maybe it's a bit overblown how successful they've been at drafting players, but it's definitely come back uh, to where kind of the reputation was with the Troy Terriers being plucked out of the fifth rounds, with the Pastajovs, with the, the Olin Zellweggers, with the Perot pick, and not even necessarily looking at the higher round picks because those are guys kind of that just fell to them. And you're kind of making – and it's it's – it's harder to mess up those higher picks than it is the lower picks. And so it seems like they've done a good job of late. So it's one of those situations where I think that we'll get an idea of the influence that Martin Madden had on the scouting department and with finding players if he did leave, but it's hard to necessarily know until that happens because how much of it is his scouts and how much of it is Martin Madden? Like how much of it is the next in command? We don't really necessarily know the entire structure because the ducks have been so private about it all. How much say did Bob Murray have in drafting these guys? We long thought maybe Madden had more say, but who knows? There's a whole lot of question marks out there about this situation that really the only way we're going to get answers is if Martin Madden does indeed leave for Montreal. And then we'll probably have a better idea at that point in time of how much of an influence he had on drafting these players. Yeah. And I think you bring up a couple of good points there, which is that, it's still the same team of scouts if Martin mm-hmm. Madden leaves. It's still the same guys gathering the information, making the recommendations. So from that perspective, it's not going to just all of a sudden flip everything on its head. Yes, Martin Madden is the one who's driving the bus. He's the one making the final call, I would assume. But it is very much a collaborative effort you know, when you're doing a draft. And so I would imagine that maybe losing the top guy isn't quite as debilitating when you still have the same team. Also, look, Jeff Solomon, I'm not going to give him credit for the way that L.A. drafted and, you know, some of their I was about to go there also. They haven't panned out, but we know that Jeff Solomon was instrumental in building the analytics department in L.A. We know that he hired, is it Rob Volman? Yep. Rob Volman, Volman. yes. I almost said Ron. (laughs) What What a blunder that would have been. Anyway, hired Rob Volman, who is the, I mean, he, I think he created NHLE. Or at least he's, he's one. Of the, yeah, and he he has one a of lot of NHL he, out there. Yeah, yeah, and he and he has. I mean, if you are ever looking for a book that kind of can give you a crash course on analytics, go get Statshot. 
I yeah. still have it somewhere around my apartment. It's a fantastic book. Gives you a good idea. It's obviously a little outdated at this point in time. Doesn't have like expected goals or things like that in there, but it gives you the, a basic understanding of a lot of different things. And and the thinking behind it as well. Um, yep. So the fact that Solomon built that out and like, I think analytics, we talk a lot about analytics in terms of analyzing gameplay in, NH- in NHL games, but one of the biggest impacts it's had, I think is on drafting. And, and, you know, we've had Byron Bader on the show who uses NHL, who's, who's talked to us about Rob Volman. So the fact that Solomon had such a big hand to play in that gives me optimism that if he were the GM and Martin Madden was gone, that the Ducks would still be a, a decent drafting team. Again, this is mm-hmm. definitely going on a bit of a limb. This, this relies on a, a few different assumptions, but I think it's mm-hmm. not crazy to think that they would still be okay. Um, yeah. I would also be very curious, like, because, you know, we, it seems to be, just a fact at this point that whoever the GM is going to be in Montreal is just not going to be what, you know, your, your traditional GM would, who is the only one calling the shots. I'm curious how Madden would do in that role, because for me as a Habs fan, I am kind of intrigued by it because I know that he's Mm -hmm. got a good eye for talent. And if you've got a guy above him in Gordon, who's, you know, who's, who's led team successfully through rebuilds and things like that. I think that could be an interesting marriage between the two of a, of a guy yeah. who's, you know, traditionally a scout and one guy who's a good just front office executive type. I think that that, well, that would be interesting. And, and it's a good landing and spot I think for, looking for, for at, Madden as well. I was about to say that. I, I think looking at the Montreal situation, I I mean, we have Christian Jay in our Twitch chat saying it's going to be Patrick Waugh. There's no way Patrick Waugh would take a position where he's second in command. That That's just not no. going to happen. Or just he, not. He wants final set. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he he doesn't want to be taking uh being able to having to defend the move someone else made. That's not what Patrick Wall wants. That's not what he's going to do. So I there's no way. I a name that was mentioned by Elliot Friedman on 32 Thoughts was Danny Briere as someone that's come up in the ECHL. Apparently he's like a front runner. Yeah, and and that makes sense because he's a guy that is known to the the market, can speak both uh uh French and English and really can kind of uh handle that market in a way and he's a name and and so it really depends on what you want it depends on if you want a guy that is kind of able to be a name someone that fans can latch on to and really kind of get behind or if you want it to be more of a guy that can learn and build and potentially be the next president of hockey ops for the canadians um in a martin madden and not saying that danny beer can't do that but it's just it's very two different molds because you and i were talking about this with cj today in in our in our text chat or text messages but the fact that Martin Madden hasn't necessarily had a lot of interviews um, in terms of with the media. And that's not to say that he's not necessarily comfortable with it. It's just maybe he wasn't given the opportunity for it. And also Montreal but it's not is as... on steroids in that department. So. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's whether or not that's something that Martin Madden wants to do. If that's where he's at, there's a whole lot there that we don't necessarily know. And so it depends on which way they want to take it. I think if they go with Martin Madden it's not necessarily about having a public face as much as it is having a high, high decision maker within the collaborative group that is French Canadian that can relate to the market and talk to the market about the decisions that were made and kind of a more intellectual way. Whereas Danny Briere is almost more, not necessarily a mascot. I I don't think that that's a fair way to put it. No, (laughs) I don't don't think that's a fair way to put it, but that's the best word that I can come up with right now. It's almost like he's a mascot for Jeff Gordon to the Montreal public. I think Briere is more qualified than people may realize because he has been working in front offices, even down in the minors for a few years now. Like he's been training himself to work in sports essentially. And I think that's, that's a good thing. Um, That being said, I still 
mostly agree with with that view though that like he is the he's meant to be a face guy he's the guy yeah, who's going to sell it to the and public so with that i mean it depends on the way that montreal wants to go and kind of now circling this back to the ducks as we've talked about the haves now for a little bit I think that there's a high likelihood that Martin Madden could get the job. And I mean, who knows where the ducks go? Maybe it's a situation also that's been brought up where, I mean, it's an uncertain situation in Anaheim right now. Who knows where they go with, uh, with Jeff Solomon. If he stays on as the GM, if they bring in someone else, is Martin Madden going to be frustrated by having to build up that trust again? I mean, it seems if I were Madden, I would view the opportunity in Montreal as a fantastic choice for me. And a, this is a great time for me to leave an uncertain situation in Anaheim for granted a high pressure situation, yeah. but one where I am the second in command, but I can really give me a lot of good experience that I haven't necessarily gotten yet. Yeah. And so yeah, I, 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 I think I, it I, would make a lot of sense for, for him. Totally. I, I think so too. And, and the thing is like the biggest objection we've had, because people always ask, you know, should Madden be the next GM of the Ducks? Like this is one of the most common questions we get. And the big, the big objection we always have is, well, he's, he's got no experience. He's a scout in a managerial position. Like, like there's so much to that job and we have no way of knowing how he would do. And how would he even know as well? Like, I'm sure he has an idea of how much he'd be able to handle it, but it's still something he's never done. And I think for the, the Canadians job, it's perfect because he gets to be in that space. He gets to be in that chair, but doesn't actually have to pull all of the weight. He gets to kind of ease his way into the position. So really for me, what it would come down to for him would just be, are you willing? Well, for, for one, are you willing to walk away from the ducks who look, if the ducks are going to be been good, good again, to him. Yeah. Like that, you're one of the architects of this thing. Like if the ducks mm-hmm. win a Stanley cup in the next five years, let's say five to seven years, like Martin Madden is one of the main drivers of that. Yeah. Right. He, he yeah. built a, a large part of this. So are you willing to wake, walk away from that? And two, are you willing to deal with the Montreal media? Cause that's really what it comes down to. If he's willing to do that, then he should just go, go all in and go for that job. But it, it just, it's a personal yeah. thing for him as a Habs fan. I just kind of want him cause I know he has a good eye for talent. And I think the, the, the duo between him and Gordon would be great. So I'm I'm pushing for it, but I don't know if it'll happen though. Well, yeah, and it was brought up uh, when listening to to 32 Thoughts today um, about the fact that it it's kind of surprising how quickly the the Canadians moved on Jeff Gordon and kind of that Elliot thought that he was for sure going to get an interview in Anaheim and Chicago, and yeah. now that's not the case. Ooh, the other kind of interesting fallout from this that is Ducks related and worth bringing up before we get into questions is the fact that what was it Frank Saravelli? had the little bit yeah. of, of information that the ducks yeah. are open to having a president of hockey operations. Yeah. Which is interesting, which goes with what we've said on this show, that that is something that they should consider to avoid not only a potential, you know, like to, to avoid a, a potential Murray situation from happening again, but also it just kind of makes sense to spread out the decision-making prowess mm-hmm. and to try to try to, ba- you know, checks and balances a little bit. There's nothing well, wrong with that. And especially if you're having a guy that is going to be a first-time GM, it just gives him a sounding board to to work off of. I mean, yeah. I forget where I heard this from, but one of the the issues that some people had, or maybe it was Mer- Jeff Merrick brought up on one of the many shows that he does now at this point in time. <laughs> yeah. But that then issue for uh, Kevin Adams is he has no one to work off of. There's no one there. He's the only person that really has a say, and and he's. 
uh, a first-time GM. And, and sometimes it, it's good to have someone above you that you can use as a sounding board to make sure you're not going crazy, to to be able to to make sure someone that's been in the those trenches can really help you and advise you. And mm-hmm. that would be more what the president of Hockey Ops would be, would be almost a, a senior advisor to if Jeff Solomon got the job full-time. And so... I, I think that that would be a really good look for the Ducks to do. Maybe we've said Mike Gillis is a good option there. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's someone that's had success as general manager, built some really good teams, someone that Solomon could really lean on. And, I mean, this is the way the NHL is going, and it makes sense. You want it to be a more collaborative effort. You want the, the responsibility spread out a little bit more. And, I mean, you see it in L.A. You see it all over the place, really, with, with president of hockey ops throughout the league. I mean, you see it in Pittsburgh. And, and so it, it's something that makes sense. Yeah, and, and I think for Solomon, too, despite the fact that he has been an AGM, that he has filled those responsibilities of a manager, he still hasn't been the actual GM yet. And so just like I was saying with Madden, I think that for him, if he were to remain the GM in Anaheim, but also had a president of hockey ops to kind of, like you said, bounce off of, that does help him ease into that job as well. Now, I, I just hope that if they get, if the Ducks get a president hockey operations that it is someone who there's going to be synergy with Solomon if he were to remain the GM right because you know some teams try to have like the maybe the more progressive type as your GM and then an old school type as president and I think for the Ducks like I don't know how well that would work or like how necessary that is even Um, so Mike Gillis makes sense because been there done that and you would think that the views between Gillis and Solomon would work together and, and augment mm-hmm. one another as opposed to clashing. Um, so, yeah, I I think that's a good development for the Ducks. If it doesn't happen, though, I mean, this is a big debate that we had in our in our Patreon Discord about, you know, is more decision makers better? You know, it, is having it spread out just inherently better? And I think that, I think it was Olaf that brought up the objection that no, or in Ken Papu as well, is no, it's about the quality of the decision makers. You need better people is better than just more people. And I think I agree with that, that one good GM is better than a mediocre president and a mediocre, you know, GM. Like it's just, I think it's better to have more qualified people. So if the ducks don't end up going that route, it's not necessarily a bad thing as long as they end up with someone who's right for the job. Yep. Agreed. All right. Anything else or time for some questions? I think it is time. I think it is that time. So we're going to do something a little different here. Before we get to Twitch, we got some 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 questions from Twitter. And also, now in our Patreon Discord, that guy Bobski is just doing a good job making Watch. new channels, coming up with good ideas, came up with a, a podcast question. So we're going to always throw to there before the Twitch. Um, but I do want to get this Twitter one mainly because I had told, me, told people, DM me if you have questions for the pod. That's an <laughs> easier way for me to find it. And uh, Ken Knight uh, did DM me and said, uh... So he's wondering about team chemistry, how Anaheim does seem to have that and Vancouver does not. Uh, do you think that does have a role in the team? He's not the biggest fan of Dallas Aikens, but maybe deserves some credit. Do you think team chemistry factors in? So I think the way chemistry works, in my opinion, is guys mm-hmm. whose styles mesh together. You see that with Milano yep. and Zegers. Why did they work so well together? I'm sorry to disappoint some people. I'm sorry to disappoint Heyo Diflo, but it, it's not because they're both from new york new york state it's because they play similar styles or their styles tend to mesh and i think from that perspective akins has done well this season to place guys whose skill sets complement one another milano zegris 
Terry Getzloff, right? Like you can go down that list. And I think that that's where chemistry comes in. And I mean, even if, even if you played hockey, like this is just something you, you know, like it's not just because him and I are on the same page and we can just see it's, it's because no, your styles mesh and Aikens has done well in that department. Yeah. And I think to, to the point about like with Vancouver and chemistry and them being like pissed at each other and like that, I, I, I don't necessarily buy into that because every team's going to look like they have good chemistry when they're going well and winning. And yeah. every team's going to look like they have so. awful chemistry when they're going bad. And so I don't necessarily buy into that that much. I mean, maybe there is something there where you, if you have a better time, you don't dread coming. They're into just, work. they're just not it, good. It, <laughs> yeah. But it, it might result in some better play, but at the end of the day, the players are the players. And so mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily know if that has that great of an effect on, on things. So that's no. just my two cents there. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. All right. So on to our discord page, uh, podcast question saying, uh, Ken Pafu asks, assuming Dallas Aikens doesn't last. Why should the Ducks trust Joel Bouchard um, at all? As in, should they just give him the job? Do you think that he should be the next guy to get the job in Anaheim? So I don't think it should be just uh, fait accompli that he becomes a head coach for the Ducks. I mean, it's great that he's had success, um, you know, at different levels and junior in the HL. I am, you know, because I'm, I follow the Canadians. I, I can't say I was thrilled about some of the work he did in Laval with the rocket, even though there were good case studies of development there. I just don't think it should be this thing we take for granted that he's going to become the next head coach. Like there's reason for skepticism. There's also reason for optimism. Like for example, Braden Tracy is playing well as of late player of the week in the AHL. Um, maybe you credit Bouchard to a degree. there, getting a guy who's had trouble the last couple of years and, and get him on the right path. So Assuming that Aikens doesn't last, the reason you trust Bouchard is because he has seemed to have done well in these development type situations, which I think the Ducks are still mostly in. Um, but I don't know if that's a reason, though, to just make him the favorite. Yep, agreed. Uh, Dark Theory asks, does Zegers have a chance at, cent- at having the, the captain C uh, while Dallas Aikens is behind the bench? I mean, who who decides the captain? Is it is it the players? Yeah, exactly. Because we've seen that with uh, other teams. players, GM, lots of things. So I don't think the coach really has a say. So if Dallas is still there, sure. I think I think Zegers has a chance at it. Let me ask you this: I have a podcast question. Sure. If the Ducks make the playoffs or narrowly miss, how? There's no way Dallas Aikens isn't back, right? There's a chance. Like, there's no way they fire him if they make the playoffs. It, they would be firing. Not fired. Him. Well, sure. The, the yeah, they, is, there's no way they're fire, they're firing. Okay, him. but you're ducking. You're ducking and dodging the question, though. Is, I is, think that if there is an opportunity to get an upgrade at coach without having to pay two coaches, you have to uh, explore that opportunity. Even if Dallas Aikens does a good job this year, if there's an up, ability to upgrade, just like with players, you have to be willing to take on that risk and upgrade to to benefit your team. Okay, so. For you standing here today, or I guess sitting here today, is Dallas Higgins the Ducks head coach next season? That's oh, a tough question. He's he's on the spot, folks. I think I've got him I think I've got him wobbled a little bit. Um, I'm gonna go with no. My yeah. reasoning there my my reasoning for that is the Ducks are most likely gonna have a new general manager. A new general, you only get so many coaching hires as your general man as a general manager, and so I think that you want to start it off on the right foot and start with your guy. 
And so I think that, I mean, there's a possibility where Dallas Aikens ends up being that guy for that coach. But I think that there is going to be a search that goes on on in the off season. And maybe the decision ends up being to keep Dallas Aikens. But my personal opinion, honestly, in all this, and maybe this will piss some people off. Who knows? The best coach, the one of the top five coaches in the NHL is not currently employed. And that's Bruce Boudreaux. Oh, and yes. If you, if you have the ability to get Bruce Boudreaux, even if Dallas Akins leads the Ducks to the playoffs, I think you have to explore that and really and, – and I think that maybe there, there's an opportunity there. Maybe the Samuelis realize that they kind of screwed him over with, with the way Bob Murray acted, and maybe there's uh, – Bruce is willing to come back uh, to the Ducks. I mean, th- this is a funny story, and I wanted to maybe bring this up, is um, Bruce was on, I believe it was the Bob McCowan show, um, this past week and brought up a, an interesting story about Bob Murray wasn't fully bearing, but kind of was, um, basically saying that he had mentioned that, um, if he got a decree from a general manager for a lineup decision, he obviously would eventually do it. He would maybe battle the point, maybe disagree and explain why, but if the gen- if the general manager ended up having a final, de- having a decision, he would give that decision and and back it up to the players and not basically say it was the general manager that made this call because at the end of the day, the GM is the guy above him. That's the guy paying that that's making the decision on his job. And so if that's what they want, then that's what they want. And he has to be able to implement that and make it work. And um, he brought up the fact that basically in the 2014 playoffs in Dallas, he scratched Tamu. And that was met with a lot of controversy at the time because it was Tamu Solani's last year. His game had declined, but there was some controversy there. And he brought up the fact that that was Bob Murray's decision. That Bob Murray came to him and said, you need to scratch Tamu because if you don't, it was something along the lines of, go listen to the episode so uh, oh, that you is, can actually that is hear juicy. what he says. That is juicy. But he said, he said you need, if you don't scratch Tamu, you're going to lose the room or something along those lines in the playoffs. And so Bruce proceeded to scratch him. And when Tamu came to him after the game, all pissed off um, or whatever it was, he had, he said it was my decision. Wow. And as it turns out, Tamu went to Bob Murray uh, after the, like maybe a day or two later. And Bob Murray said it was the coach's decision it, and he had no say in it. And Bob Murray basically threw Bruce under the bus. And that wow. is why I don't know if you recall this, but Bob Murray or that Tamuslani had a book that came out and he completely trashed um or no, Ken Pav was saying Bob Murray said it to the media that it was Bruce's decision. But um Tamu had it in his book trashing Bruce Boudreaux and was pissed. Wow. And I, I remember that being a big deal, the quotes that came out of that book, and I remember being finding it so interesting because Bruce was still the head coach of the team at the time when that book came out. And Bruce even said that the only reason why Tamu found out was Getzloff went up to him like years later and told him, no, that was Bob. That wasn't, um, that wasn't Bruce's decision. And Tamu basically went to Bruce and apologized. That's crazy. That is actually yeah. a pretty wild story. I had never heard. Yeah. That. It, yeah. I didn't hear that until I listened to that podcast yesterday. It came out like last Wednesday, I think. Uh-huh. Um, but the Bob McCowan podcast with John Shannon and they had Bruce on for about 50 minutes. Um, that's wild. So yeah, go go take a go take a listen to that. But kind of getting back to that point, it, it really listening to Bruce and listening to his methodology because the podcast was really really good. Um, and um, where is this Bob Murray story? Is there a source? Yeah, Bruce Boudreaux is the source. 
Um, go listen to the, the Bob that's from Tristan missed. Go listen to the Bob McCown podcast. Um, it's on all, all podcast services. Um, but this kind of led me back listening to Bruce overall, uh, of thinking about it. And also, I don't know if anyone else listened to, I listen to a lot of podcasts, the 32 thoughts podcast interview with, I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy that's all about, uh, uh, adjusting your management structures and things like that. And on that, he had mentioned that even if you are comfortable with your coach, you should always be looking for the next one. Yeah. Because who knows when you'll be put in this situation. And that and that kind of leads to my thought process here of even if Dallas Akins does lead the Ducks to the playoffs, there are better candidates out there. And I think that that's not necessarily meant to be a slight on Dallas Akins. I just don't think even when he's going well, he's one of the best coaches in the league. And just similar to if you have the opportunity to get a Jack Eichel, you and I both believe Mike Ford's the guy, by the way. Um, But if you have the ability to get a Jack Eichel, you need to go and and do that, right? You need to use your cap space. You need to be able to to go and get a guy like that. That's how you and I both believe. I think the same methodology should apply to coaches. Yeah. And despite the fact that Aikens has been better this year, they're they're still clearly warts in the methodology that are there that aren't going away. I mean, you saw it against Colorado, Derek Grant on the first line with Terry and Getzlaff went away from that. Almost, yeah. We didn't even talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Went away from that three shifts in because lo and behold, didn't work. They got scored against and they were playing like, you know what? So yeah, if I were to predict it, I don't think that Aikens is back next year either. Like you said, there's just too many, there's going to be better options available. And also like, again, to the GM point, they're going to want their own guy. It kind of sucks for Dallas Akins because this is the first year in his Ducks tenure where it feels like he's getting some normalcy. Like he doesn't have a crazy GM above him, and the, you know the team isn't purely in in like the the tank anymore. But it's it's still like you got to make those tough decisions if you're trying to get better and go for glory. And I just don't know how you rationalize that if you're the Ducks, unless the only way is if they go deep into the playoffs or they just become this this roll, this really steamrolling team in the regular season, which it just doesn't look like they are right now. So, yep. All right. someone so else. Let's get... I, I would love a Bruce Boudreaux return, by the way. Would love it. Yeah, I, I think it would up. be fantastic. I, I think it's a very different bringing back a coach than, than the Randy Carlisle comeback. This is a coach no. that actually had good underlying numbers. That, that shouldn't have this been is a guy that was hard done. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> he led the team to four straight division titles and got fired for it. Yeah, I mean, he he only got fired because of the fact that they the team got win, hurt. They couldn't win game sevens, which is like a well, coin flip, basically. Yeah, he got he got fired because Ricardo Kell got appendicitis. Josh Manson got knocked out. Um, yeah, all but I mean, in the 2016 also, playoffs. I mean, it's just one of those things where even if four, he got if, fired because of four four games, four games. Yeah, like then people point to the game six records that they had, where they they lost a bunch of game six. It's like. So eight games. You you, you, you got to compare the sample sizes. Like this guy is making you one of the best teams in the league in an 82 game sample over years. The fact that it hasn't worked in a significantly smaller sample doesn't mean that it's just not going to work ever or that you should value one over the other yeah. or that you should value playoffs over regular season. Like as, and th- we were talking about this the other day as well, as much as there's this romance to the Stanley cup playoffs and all this tradition that goes behind it. At the end of the day, that doesn't necessarily mean you're the best team in the league that given year. If you're, if you I have, mean, a sorry, sorry, Felix, we saw that this past playoffs. 
yeah, with Montreal and, and, making the cup final. And like the Canadians were great while they were going through the playoffs, but I, I fully acknowledge that. And that's why, anyway, all this to yeah. say, bring Bruce back. <laughs> yep. 100%. All right. So now time for Twitch questions. Questions. So for those of you on YouTube, yes, we're on YouTube, youtube.com slash crash spawn. Find us there. Like, subscribe, smash that like button, whatever everybody says on YouTube. Or uh, for those of you on your favorite podcast services, you can find us on Twitch every single Monday at 8 p.m. at twitch.tv slash crash the pond, where you can help support the show uh, in a way that's completely free to you if you have Amazon Prime. You get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month. You do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days and you get special emotes in the chat special badges next to your name and it's a good time you can interact with us live and you can be just like that guy or you can be just like kempafu who resubbed for 26 months uh that guy bobski who resubbed for 12 months said happy one year baby hope you got nice. me something nice um nice. and then ginger wolf who resubbed for 15 months as we were talking about uh ricard raquel and said that was a really a roller coaster for your bonnie and then zuzlay who will have the first question also gifted out a sub to whiskey throw so thank you guys so much um so zuzle i can't tell if this is meant to be just a straight like tee up teeing you up right now for for uh for you to go off right now who knows we'll see how it goes question i feel like the media and commentators have been very high on drysdale what do you think of his recent play wow trigger warning you could have put a trigger warning on that but you didn't thanks <laughs> thanks uh, what do I think about Drysdale? I mean, it feels like this is the only thing I've talked about all year. I mean, look, his plus minus is getting better, Jake. That's that's the thing we need to focus on here is the plus minus. So I just want to say this. Eric Stevens wrote a great article today, uh, like a feature on Jamie Drysdale and, you know, just kind of giving you that behind the scenes, uh, more in-depth journalism that you love to, to read. I will say my only critique is the fact that he talked so much about plus minus in regards to Drysdale. And yes, players do talk about it, and that was mentioned. Um, he even said, though, that there are better ways to measure player performance than plus minus. It's like, please just mention them. Just mention them. Like, we, we got so close here to making some progress, but still a great article that I want you to check out. So, what I think about Drysdale, I think he's been better this year than last year. I think that, like, the, the stats are very clear on that, that last season, he was one of the worst players in the league by any metric. This season, now up on the screen are his RIPM charts for this year, and I'll get a, I'll change it to last year. Just he was so one of the, he really was one of the worst it. players in the league. Sure, he was a teenager, whatever, whatever the caveats are you want to throw in. He was bad this season. He has been much better. He's been a, a positive value player offensively. His defensive game has improved quite a bit. I think having a regular partner in Hamilton almost helped him. I think that there are flashes of brilliance from him. Like it's what you want to see for a guy who, let's face it, the Ducks have just chosen is able to handle the deployment they're giving him, which is throwing him to the wolves, putting him against the other team's top line. He has handled that. Well, he has improved. I still would push back on this notion that he has been awesome. Like he's been better. And that's certainly worth mentioning, but he's he's been, he's he's been around replacement level, I I think, which is a huge improvement. Yeah, exactly. And he is 19. So the fact that he's going on this upward trajectory, very clear upward trajectory, that's exciting for a sixth overall pick, but people need to cool it just slightly he hasn't been like amazing either. So I, I, and we've said this, it's important to set proper expectations for players. Cause eventually if you are expecting him to be one of the best defensemen in the league, no, this year or next year, or maybe you think because he's 19 and doing this now, he's going to be the best defenseman in the league next year. That's what makes 
fans start turning on players. And by not having a proper expectation for a player or not adjusting your expectations for what they should be, that's where you end up with, for instance, the Nick Ritchie situation where everyone's down on him, everyone's hating on him instead of understanding what he actually is and having the proper expectations, even though he was 10th overall, once he made the NHL and you started seeing him play more, he was a third liner. He was a good third liner, but he was a third liner. I do wonder, though, for for defensemen, if coming in earlier at the NHL is better or worse than it is like for forwards, let's say. Because it's two different things. Like when you're a forward, you go back to junior because you want to see – the team wants to see you dominate on on the points, right? Get get pickup goals, pick up assists, really produce offensively. For defensemen, I feel like maybe there's a little less for them to learn from junior or do. Maybe point. The, maybe being young in the NHL nowadays is a good thing long term. I mean, look how Cam Fowler turned out, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, there were some rough years there in the sure. early when it's in his early twenties, but correct as you would expect them to be. But yeah, I mm-hmm. think that maybe this is a, a good development path. We, we we won't know for a while, but it's trending in the right direction, and that's something you should be happy about. Well, for speaking of, of development path, it, it's going to be interesting to see how kind of the development path for all of these guys that were drafted during COVID is because, yeah. I mean, these guys, Cole Perfetti, Jacob Perot, these guys that typically, I mean, um, uh, why am I spacing on his name? The guy in um, in uh, Carolina. Um, Carolina. Why am I? Yeah, Carolina, right? Carolina has a guy that just came up that was drafted in the drive. Oh, Seth draft. Jarvis. Seth Jarvis. There we go. Yeah, I keep. I always think Connor's there. I'm like, that's not him. Well, why I was just I like, why are we that? talking about a Hurricanes player? But okay. Fair well, point. no. the The logic there is he played in the AHL last year, and so oh, this gotcha. development path for these players that that came through the AHL at 18 years old, which is not typical for guys in junior, and, and still being able to play there at 19, it, it's going to be very interesting. And uh, Quinn Byfield's another one to see the the trajectory of these players and how playing in the AHL at 18 and 19 years old really impacted their game. I think yep. that's kind of a fascinating thing to see play out long term here. Totally. Um. All right, so Christian J say what? I mean, we kind of answered this, but what are the chances? And I'm going to throw this now at you. What are the chances Aikens continues as the coach? I I think they're they're there. It's not. It's totally conceivable. I'd say that it's fifty fifty right now. Yeah, I think that that's probably about right. Yeah, yeah. He, he he he's made it. He's made it an open question instead of just okay. We're assuming he's gone next season. Ooh, interesting question from Dalton. Uh, so Dalton Keys asks. And so Max Comtois is still waiver el- or waiver exempt this year. Mm-hmm. So do you think Comtois gets stuck in San Diego for longer than just a conditioning stint when he is healthy enough to play? Does he just get straight sent down? It's possible. I mean, because look at the Ducks lineup right now. Like they've got a ton of left wingers. They've got people they got to fit in. Eventually Max Jones will be back. I mean, I don't know if it'll be this season, but the point is, yeah, it's, it's not inconceivable. It does feel though, like with Max with Max Contois, like don't you want to get him going? Like don't you want to just make this happen? Put him on a good line, and give him that opportunity. Like maybe you put him in, like sure you put him in San Diego for conditioning, but do you really want to mess around this much with Max Contois? It feels like you just got to put him with good players and see what happens at some point. Like, like yeah. why does why does he have to like re earn everything? Like this isn't yeah. going to help. I, I'm just I like if he goes down, it's like this is what's going to happen. This is my prediction. He's going to go down to San Diego. He's going to do very well there because he's too good for that league. He may even stay a little longer because of the Ducks lineup, whatever. And he's going to come up to the Ducks. He's going to score a bunch. They're going to put him in the top six. He's going to look good. 
And you know what the narrative is going to be? It's going to be Joel Bouchard, that he went down to the San Diego. Bouchard got his, in his ear, the prospect whisperer, and all of a sudden he's playing this two-way game and blah, blah, blah. When in reality, he's probably going to be the same player he always was and that he's been this season and he's been the year before, except that his shooting luck finally turned back around. That's going to be it. Like I'm already seeing this narrative. I'm calling it now. I'm getting out ahead of it. You will all owe me money if this actually happens, or I should say when this actually happens. Sure. <laughs> Too much of a um, rabbit hole? No? Yeah, a little bit. So I'm not seeing another question, but I have a question for you. This okay. this comes from from Jake Rudolph. Um, oh, and here comes a question from Ann Young that I'll get to afterwards. Um, we t- You and I were texting about this a bit last night. And so it's something I'm Where curious. Where is this going? Curious. Curious about. Does Cam Fowler make the Olympic team, and should he? I think you could definitely make a case for him making it. I don't think he will yeah. because of name brand recognition and whatnot. I think that I, he I think has he a will. better case. I think he has a better case than we think he does because sure. he's played in the Olympics before. Yeah, but Seth Jones is the thing, and I'm worried about that getting in his way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, is have they said if there's a chance that they can go back on that, or is, is he locked <laughs> in? <laughs> I I don't know. I don't really follow Team USA. Um, I would love to see Fowler make it, though, because I think he's been very good this season. He's been the Ducks' best defenseman. He was very good last year as well on a woeful team, so it would be a nice reward for him. And honestly, it would, it would be a good pick for Team USA. Like If you look at that USA blue line, they're going to be very good and deep, assuming that they don't completely screw it up, uh, yeah. which might happen. I mean- they they have some of the they have two of the top three defensemen in the league in, in McAvoy and Fox, yeah. And so I mean play like legit. You and I were texting. I was like, do Fowler McAvoy like that would be such a good pairing. Yeah, yeah. Fowler Fox be... even Fowler Fox would be amazing. Just all the skating ability. That's that's what I would love to watch. So yeah, but yeah. I, I don't know if it'll happen though. Yep, agreed. But I I think I think realistically Terry has the best. I mean I think Gibson has the best chance actually to make. Team oh, USA. Yeah. I, think I think he's out, on. Outside of, I think, I think he's on. I think Troy Terry at this point is on. Wow, bold. I mean, I mean fourth, third, third or fourth in the league uh, in American scoring. Yeah, I mean that that turns is head. That with they, the start. Is that how they decide the team? They just they just filter by nationality on NHL.com. Just Probably. Like <laughs> you would think so. <laughs> it's not inconceivable, honestly. Okay, well let's go this. Let, let's do most likely to least likely between the for the four Americans on Team USA. Oh, this is easy. Gibson, most likely. Uh, Terry, second most. Zegris, least of the three. Oh, and then Fowler. I would put Fowler actually below Zegris, I think. Because I think Zegris serves serves more of a need for them than Fowler does. I kind of agree with that because, yeah, they're missing a lot of center depth. Yeah, and, and even like... It just he just gives you offensive an offensive I, option. I think there's a chance, a, a decent enough chance, not a huge chance, but that all four uh, make it. All four make it. That would be a good story. That would it would be, cool. be really fun. Here's yeah. the question: Which jersey do I get? <laughs> would you get a Gibson Team USA jersey? No, Gibson's out. Gib, Gib, Gibson's Gibson's out. Not why getting Gibson. It, why is Gibson out? Hold on, explain. I this. don't know because I don't want to get a Gibson jersey. I don't you know. Have, you have something against goalie jerseys? Or goalie numbers? No, I have I have a JS Shaguer jersey. I don't actually have a John Gibson jersey now that I think about it. Um and I already have a Cam Fowler Team USA jersey. So don't I, need that. I, I think that for you, you have to go Terry, right? Like there's I no think other I do. like because I, I cause I don't think I think Trevor Zegers could be on another another Olympic team. 
Oh yeah, and he's just younger. Like it's just yeah. play the numbers here. Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, it's just come on. Like even if even if that wasn't true, like Terry, <laughs> I have to get it. Yeah. Like come on, this I, isn't even a question. Like t- Terry making that team is the culmination of everything you've said about Terry. That's the good last point. Few years. That's good point. That's fair. That's fair. Like this is like, okay. this is a layup. This is a dunk. Okay. Now I'm sold. That. <laughs> Okay. That that will be uh, what I asked for my birthday. There we go. How about that? <laughs> birthday is right before February? the Olympics. February? February 6th. February 6th. There you go. So um, let's see. M. Young said, who's more likely to be traded, Lindholm or Raquel? And what would you think as a realistic trade for either look like at the deadline? <laughs> uh, I will go likelier. Hmm. I think I'm going to go with Raquel. I think Raquel's likelier. Yeah, because even though I think they're both gone – I think that uh, with with Raquel, I just don't think there's any case you can really make for him. Like, at least Lindholm has the Drysdale pairing thing going. Um, and as far as return, I mean, it's got to be a first-rounder, right, for either of those guys, and then a prospect or a good young roster player. Mm-hmm. Two pieces. Two pieces coming back. I don't think it's I think three. Raquel... I don't it, think it, Raquel... They're, they're I think Raquel, you get one piece. I think Lindholm, you can get two to three. Wow. Wait, what? Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. They're rentals, though. I think that Lindholm is a very high-end rental. Yeah, but you just said Lindholm would get less than Raquel, unless I misheard you. No, I didn't. You, or maybe I misspoke. It's possible I misspoke. I think I yeah. said, I, at least I meant to say Raquel gets you one, Lindholm okay. gets you two to three. Okay, then yeah. Then yes, sorry, I agree, I agree with that. Sorry, it, either I misspoke or you misheard. Either way, I mean, we've now cleared it. Either of those are fully possible. Um, yeah, one hundred percent. Okay. Um, and so I think that's gonna do it for us tonight. I saw someone ask earlier, maybe Christian saying what I think of Patrick Waugh in Montreal. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that led to us bringing it up and saying uh, it's not, not gonna happen. Not happening, and I would, I would hate that. That would. What would you think of Mark Bergevin to Anaheim is the better Oh, question. God, no, no, why, why, <laughs> Yeah, but, no. Jake, he's won, as I was informed of on Twitter yesterday, he's, no, won, I, he's won every trade he's made. Oh, see, I was about which to say, not, I thought some, you were going to, well, the easy reason why some people would say is he led the Montreal Canadiens to the Stanley Cup final last year. Yeah, he made a team that was designed for the playoffs. Not designed to get there, but designed to get through once it was there. Um. Yeah, I mean, I like mean, he, I, he did stay away he, he, from him. He, the, the problem with the, the with the Bergeron thing is, even if you say, "Look, he rebuilt the Habs," he had to rebuild them because he destroyed them. At, like he was given a great hand, fumbled it, and then had to rebuild and ultimately fumbled that as well. Like it's just not a guy that I would look at if I were the the Ducks. Yeah. Um, okay. Stay away. I think we're done. I think this yeah. is it. Yeah. I mean, Zuzle did just throw in into the the Twitch chat quick. Someone ask a wrestling wrestling question. No, I, please God, for the love I, of God, I have I haven't seen one yet. For the so. love, for the love of Hanukkah, please do not. Um, Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> um, I'm actually kind of shocked that we got this much uh, content in for a. I'm not. What I would say a light week. Let's just be honest. Let's call it what it was. A light week. It was Thanksgiving. Yeah. Well, anyway, on that note. <laughs> We're going to get out of here, folks. Thanks, everybody, so much for tuning in live tonight at our Twitch page. We really do appreciate that. makes it a lot of fun. As you can tell, the questions help drive the show. That's at twitch.tv slash crash the bond. Yeah. I don't know. Were you going to say something? 
Oh, we got a question coming. I don't know if you want to just just, oh. just take uh, it. Let's see. Most likely UFA to be traded. Didn't we Nick just... Delorier. Sure. Nick, Nick Delorier. Yeah. Will he be traded? They're just going to ride him out. They're... Oh, God. Dallas Aikens won't let him off the top I keep. Picks. I forget, honestly, that he's a UFA. I mean, most likely is going to be one of the one of the big three. I think most likely is Raquel, probably, just because probably. he. I yeah. I just want to say something different than what we've said for probably weeks now, and, and go with Nick Delorier. Weeks? Try try months. Try, try years? years at this point. Yeah, it, <laughs> it might be. Anyway, if you like, I'm trying to get us out of here. I'm I'm doing what I can. <laughs> what is that face? You're just scratching your soul patch, making a weird smile at me. Okay. That that's a sign this needs to end. Jake is just like devolving into I don't know what. I don't know what that that's all about. That mustache needs to go. I now understand. I now understand Monica's plight of having to deal with that mustache. Okay. If you want to support what we do, Check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash crash the bond for $1 a month. You get access to our discord page or discord server, which is a lot of fun. Great people in there connect with diehard ducks fans. And as was just created as of today, we have a podcast questions channel on there. So if you put a question in there, you get first priority on the show. Next time we record, um, that's for a dollar a month next year up $5 still get access to the discord server. You also get access to two bonus episodes a month. We just recorded one over the weekend where I believe we talked about Trevor Zegras and if he can still win the Calder Trophy. We also went a little off topic. We go more unfiltered off topic on those shows. Let's let's just say one of our patrons, do I out him? No, I'm not going to out him. Said that Darth Vader is a horrible villain. Oh, and... you can out him. It's Ken Pafu. Oh, okay. That's, that's hey, a t- I, it wasn't me. I actually, I read the back and forth between you two, had to scroll back like about an hour to get through all of it. And I think good points were made on both sides. I think I'm going to lean with what he said, though. I like the contrarian take. I always go with the contrarian wow. take. Wow. Um, wow. You you supposedly a Revenge of the Sith fan. Yeah. Revenge of the Sith is, is great. You a, a prequel apologizer. Um, <laughs> thinking I'm, just Anakin- said, I'm just glad you said apologizer <laughs> and not apologist. I'm just glad you invented a word there. That, <laughs> Whoops, that, I meant apologize. Yeah, whatever. Apologizer works though. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm having to apologize for how how disastrous. It is. Anyway, uh, all that nonsense that just occurred, you get a lot of that on the on the extra uh, podcast on the bonus shows. That's for five dollars a month for fifteen dollars a month. Everything I just mentioned plus two watch-alongs. So we do a live stream of a Ducks game, and we are, by the time you're listening... Tomorrow! We're doing one Tuesday night for the first we'll freeway today. face-off. Yeah, yeah. freeway face-off against the Kings. It's going to be fun. I'm excited for this game. I'm always excited for these because it's... A lot of analysis goes on. You get a definitely a different flavor from your usual broadcast, but you also get some nonsense, some shooting of the breeze. It's a lot of fun. You actually get access to a private YouTube chat. So while you're watching with us, you also get to chat with us and throw in some topics or whatever you'd like for us to discuss or have your own conversations in the chat. We maybe do a a music challenge for Felix where I play music and he has to try to guess it and he's horrible. And I fail miserably. He thought Lupe Fiasco was Kanye West. Yeah, we don't need to talk about that. Um, So anyway, all of this is at patreon.com slash crash the pond. Now, other ways that you can support us, check us out on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Just search our name crash the pond you can leave a rating and a review and if you do read a review we will read it on the show 
as we did last week. We really enjoy hearing from you guys. Uh, so just search us there. We're also on Spotify. We're on YouTube, youtube.com slash crash the pond. Uh, you get to see the video version of the show. And um, so make sure to subscribe there and also turn on the notifications. Check out our website, crashthepond.com. Hey, it's gift giving season. It's the holidays. If you know a Ducks fan in your life that wants to upgrade their swag levels when they go to a game or when they hang out or whatever, check out our crashthepond.com slash shop. You can get a cool hoodie. You can get the t-shirt that Jake is wearing right now if you're watching the video of this. Um, Shout out to the, the person that has already... Uh, ordered a hoodie. I'm. I find it hilarious that we ended up spoiling someone's uh, Christmas present by doing that on the last show. That was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Jake is just trying to pretend that it wasn't uh, that he, that he's innocent here. That didn't play a part in that. Um, but yeah. So if you know someone that would like a cool ducks related gift that is a also a listener, what have you, check out our shop. Outside of that, you can find us on Twitter at Crash the Pond and on Facebook. Jake is on Twitter at Rainier Games 91. I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. That will do it for us tonight, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will talk to you next Monday. Have a good one, y'all. Bye.